Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And, as you know, I didn't post a new podcast last week. Normally, I spend the weekend previewing a talk and uh, then writing my comments, which I then record on Monday. However, when the weekend before last arrived, I just couldn't get my mojo working enough to begin. And by Monday, I realized that the only way to get that week's podcast out was to force the issue, which is actually something that I try to not do. So I decided to skip a week. Now, a few days before making that decision, I had watched the new Star Wars movie, so I half-jokingly told myself that there must have been a tear in the force that was causing me to resist working on a new program. Anyway, I more or less stayed off the net for the next several days, uh, taking a little holiday from the digital world, and uh, didn't even turn my computer on. So, when I checked my email on Friday, I was shocked to learn that on the Saturday, when I normally would begin working on this podcast, that our dear friend and fellow saloner, Kai Wingo, had died. Now, if you listen to my podcast with Kai, number 458, which I posted this past July 6th, you'll remember me saying that I thought it to be one of the best programs I had played here in the salon. Kai was a relatively young person in our community who showed great promise of becoming one of our longtime leaders and eventually a respected elder of our tribe. And so my sadness at learning of her death was multiplied when I learned that her death could most probably have been prevented. Kai was completing the 37th day of a 40-day fast when her electrolytes and potassium dropped too low, apparently causing her death. From my strictly layman's point of view, it appears to me that Kai unintentionally starved herself to death. Now that may prove wrong when we learn more, but for now, that's what I understand to have happened. After today's talk, I'll return and say a little more about Kai and the wonderful work that she was doing. But first I want to play the talk that I had originally planned on presenting to you last week. It's the talk that Annie Oak gave at last year's Palenque Norte Lectures, which were delivered during the Burning Man Festival. And Annie's talk centers around the art of event organizing, and it is the third in a series of talks that I've been playing, which focus, uh, among other things, on the safety factors that must be taken into account when producing events, uh, such as festivals, dance parties, uh, Burning Man camps, and other activities that we think of as events. However, Kai's death has brought into focus for me the fact that what Annie has to say here also applies to small-scale events, such as doing mushrooms by yourself. It's important that you also realize that such an activity is also an event, and that safety factors must be taken into account in that situation as well. And we now learn that even without the use of any psychoactive plants or chemicals, something that seems as harmless as fasting must also be planned for with safety being a primary consideration. I'll speak more about that after we listen to Annie's talk about organizing larger events, but as we listen to her advice, we should keep in mind the fact that many of the things that Annie covers are equally important for the solo psychonaut to consider. Now, let's join Christopher Pezza at Camp Soft Landing in August of 2015 as he introduces Annie Oak. My name is Pez, and you're at the Palenque Norte Speaker Series. Thanks for being here. Uh, so our next speaker is Annie Oak. And Annie, Annie uh, is not only an artist, journalist, and civil rights activist, um, but she also uh, co-founded this camp. Uh, the full, she's the creator of the Full Circle Tea House Next Door, um, also the founder of the Women's Visionary Congress, which is a, an incredible psychedelic conference uh, slash retreat that happens annually, and um, more recently, the co-founder of an interactive um, theatric events company called Take Three Presents. So um, I'm very excited to have Annie Oak here to speak with us tonight about uh, Beyond the Profit Motive, the Art of Event Organizing. So with that, please welcome Annie Oak. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to our camp. This is an awesome camp. 
We uh, we're Camp Soft Landing, and we uh, we have the Palenque Norte Speaker Series and the Full Circle Tea House next door. 140 people who serve in both projects and in other places on the playa, including the Zendo Project, are camped with us this year. So we're a we're a big experiment in community art here. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch. We're all having a great time, and we're delighted you could join us. So um, I wanted to talk about my art. I'm an artist. And the form of art that I do, I call community art. Community art. It's, um, it's an art form in which I design and create collaboratively, collaboratively with other people gathering and event spaces that have an educational and transformational intent. And it's an art form that requires some skills that we have learned in our lives and many skills that we've learned out here on the playa. And I'd like to talk about some of the examples of those art forms and I'm going to ask whoever has the radio on to turn down the radio. Thank you. So when we talk about community art, we're talking about spaces where people come together for transformational purposes and for community exchange for educational purposes to get information, to have a good time, to alter our consciousness, to make art and receive art, to listen to music, to drink tea, to camp, to sleep, to be together in an intentional way. And the three examples that I'd like to talk about this year, in terms of the art that I've created, are first the Women's Visionary Congress, Second is the Full Circle Tea House in this camp that we're in here. And the third is Take Three Presents, the production company that Chris Peza just mentioned. He is uh, one of my two partners in this project. And these are examples of community art projects. Uh, two of them are for-profit businesses. One of them is a non-profit business. So these are both art projects and startups. And the reason that they were structured as businesses is because I think artists need to recreate the concept of business and really make business into their own art form and art forms into sustainable projects so that they can continue beyond you, so that they have a life beyond the artist because they're collaborative pieces of art. And transformational art needs to be sustainable art if it's going to continue. So also all of these projects I'd like to mention, in addition to being little businesses, are at capacity right now. The ones that we sell tickets to sell out at every event. The ones that are open and free are busy and serving a lot of people. They are small by design. Their intention is not to make money. Their intention is to be sustainable in different ways. And their intention is to be successful by a different set of standards as both pieces of art and businesses. The Women's Visionary Congress I founded nine years ago to be a, an organization created by and for women who are interested in non-ordinary states of consciousness. And we, of course, include in that community, we say people of all genders, men included. We gather once a year for our large gathering and event in Petaluma in June. And then we have salons around the country. We've had salons in Seattle and had salons in Vancouver, we've had salons in New Mexico. And it was created as a nonprofit organization. We're going to celebrate our 10th anniversary next year. 
and it is a an organization that supports the work of visionary women who are working with non-ordinary states of consciousness to come and present their work and also people of all genders to come and present their work and hear this work presented. I created it because I was part of a community of psychedelic women and I didn't feel their work was being presented and honored well enough within the psychedelic community. So that's a community art project that is now off and running on its own. We have a group of volunteers and some part-time staff people who are all moving it forward. We make enough money to be able to support it and to hold these events. We give out money and grants. We have a great community of people who are now part of this art project that will continue that project on into the future on our 10th anniversary next year. And it's a piece of art because it was intended to not only showcase the work of people doing research or healing or art or ritual with altered states of consciousness with different psychedelic medicines or other states of consciousness. It was intended to showcase that, but it was also intended to create a community and a space for that community to gather. And so that piece of art is launched in the world. We're a 501c3 now for eight years. We're beholden to the U.S. government as a piece of art, which is an interesting thing to think about. Our books are audited. We write grant proposals. We reach out to funders. And we're about to pass it along to another generation. I think every piece of community art needs to have a succession plan. The creators need to at some point step aside and say, here, this is your art too. What do you want to do with it? You know the old founder syndrome with companies where the founder starts a company and then they're too attached to it to really get out of the way and let other people take it to another level. I think community art is just like that. So the Women's Visionary Congress will be taken over by another generation of young women to move forward and create something new with it to choose the speakers for the events I and other elder women will remain on the board we specifically do multi-generational events that include both older and younger women and older and younger people of all generations so that's kind of launched and and uh, prospering I would say The project that we've all been enjoying here at Burning Man, the Tea House, is another community art project. The Tea House has its own logic. I don't know if you've been next door, but the Tea House is being run by volunteers who are working within a structure that we set up as a piece of community art. We thought that it would be a great idea to create a tea house that was simple enough to run so that people could make it their own and and really take it into wherever they wanted to take it. I had been out here on the playa for 15 years and it occurred to me that there just weren't enough spaces where alcohol wasn't being served, where there wasn't a lot of loud music, where there was a place for people to rest and hydrate and drink tea and be in community and have quiet conversations and play some beautiful acoustic music, which we have in the tea house. And so I created the tea house as a community art project, as a a structure within which people could pour their own creativity. We run 24 hours a day for two weeks. We've been out here since last Tuesday with a build crew of 15 people, and we've been serving since last Friday. So we're on week two for us out here. And it's a, it's a project that is a small business. It's set up like a small business so that we can get discounts for buying our supplies wholesale. We have a, a, uh, a way to get our tea and our herbs and our tea gear and our tea tables at wholesale prices. And then we give it all away, of course, here on the playa. We also give away hundreds of gallons of water. We're on track to go through our first 250 gallons of water. What other camps out here on the playa give away water? We're committed to giving away water. 
And we've given away about 200 gallons of it so far. We're, I'm about to go into center camp and get another water delivery for another 250 gallons of water. And the reason we can afford to do that is because all these beautiful people who are camped in this camp pay camp dues. And the camp dues that support Camps Off Landing as a community art project allow us to, for me to get on my bike and go into center camp and say, hey, we want another 250 gallons of water at a gallon, a buck a gallon, please, so that people who are out of water can not only drink tea but fill their water bottles. That's a community art project. And it's made possible because the beautiful people in our camp are willing to pay either $200 or $125 a piece for low-income people to help support this project as a community art project. We believe in really supporting the community and giving away water is an important part of that. And also, of course, tea. We buy bulk herbs and mix all of our own teas. We buy pu'er from our amazing tea dealer, David Lee Hoffman. And we offer that as a gift to the community. We go to a lot of festivals with the Tea House. We've been doing it now for five years. And uh, every festival we serve at, we always serve for free. We take this community ethic of the gift economy from Burning Man everywhere we go as a community art project. And we gift people water and tea. We also, because we were able to raise money from our campers, buy a really awesome state-of-the-art water filter this year, a Berkey water filter. Shout out to incredible people who build these water filters so we can filter the heck out of our water. So no matter what kind of water we get delivered to our cube, it often tastes like plastic. It's been stored in plastic. It's been stored in plastic in our cube. It's stored in plastic in our... 120 gallons that we bring in in jerry cans out here before we get our first water delivery out here on the playa, we're able to filter that out and give you really high-quality filtered water out here on the playa because the people in this camp have given us enough money to go out and buy a $700 water filter and a bunch of awesome filters. So we could, in theory, take whatever kind of water we got. So this is also part of what I see is a community art project supporting the health and safety of the community. We're going to store that water filter in San Francisco where this tea house is based along with all of our other tea gear and our water boilers and you know what if there's an earthquake in San Francisco you know what we'll be doing? We'll be serving tea and giving away water in the panhandle in Golden Gate Park because we're a community based art project and we're able and ready to do that with whatever water we get and we can take this idea of a community art project and really offer it to the world in you know useful ways and being able to filter water is a very useful part of that project our water is uh, also stored in our 250 gallon water cube out there by the entrance to the tea house and um uh, a few years ago, when we got our water delivery, they came along and chlorinated it. And we sat down and cried, all of us, because we had 250 gallons of water we couldn't drink. It was undrinkable. It tasted like pool water. And so somebody in our camp of amazing people here in our community art project camp behind me uh, raised their hand and said, uh, Hey, um, I own a boat, and I know how to set up a water filtration system, and if you take me into Reno, into the marine supply store, I can build us a custom water filter and filter out all that chlorine from your 250 gallons of undrinkable water, and he did. He built, he hand-built a water purification system, which is our backup water filter for that water cube. So we rely on the ingenuity of our community to create the art that we want to give back to the community, and that's a really good example of that. So the Tea House is a, is a volunteer-run project. We depend upon people to sign up and help us be able to serve 24-7. We'll be up and serving until next Tuesday morning when we leave the playa. We come at her early so that we can serve the builders and we stay late so that we can serve the people who are tearing the city down because 
we want to be able to make sure that they have a place to get out of the sun and lots of water and a place to rest and so on. We've also been working with the Zendo Project this year, which has been great. The Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies runs the Zendo Project, a psychedelic harm reduction project where people can go if they need one-on-one care. They're right across the street here at 915 and D., and uh, a lot of those people are camping in our camp, and the Zendo people have been coming over and filling up their water containers here at our water cube. So we're helping to support that project as well, which is a wonderful project. If you know somebody who needs care, I uh, highly recommend that you bring them over there to, uh, to receive care at the Zendo project. So part of making sure that these projects are sustainable is making sure that other people have a, um, a stake in them and bring their ideas to how they unfold. There are now five sister tea houses that have been started based on the model of our full circle tea house here. There's one in Paris, France that serves wine and cheese along with their tea because they're French. There's one in Austin, Texas. There's one in New York City. There's one in Oakland. And there's another one in L.A. It was intentionally modeled to be inexpensive to put together. It's built out of car barns that you can order off of Amazon and have delivered to your doorstep like I did. The tea boilers are easy to get. It's easy to find the herbs. It's easy to find the tea gear. It's all put together with the intention of being easy to replicate It's an open source idea, like they say in the software world. I think the community-based art should be replicated. It should be made as simple as possible so that it can be taken up and replicated by other people who can put their own spin on this idea of community artwork. It shouldn't be expensive. It shouldn't be copyrighted. It shouldn't be tied up with your own ego. It should be adaptable, and it should be open enough that people can put their own stamp on it. This camp that we run has some really great systems. We designed with one of our friends an evapotron, which is on the top of our panel truck. As you go outside the tent, we're evaporating hundreds of gallons of gray water with our evapotron. It's at the top of our truck. We haul the gray water to the top of the truck and pour it down these cylinders of wire fencing with burlap over them, sitting in kiddie pools with pumps in them. And we just pump the gray water to the top of this cylinder and we evaporate our water. It's a simple technology, but it means that we don't have to take our gray water and do ugly evap ponds here, which damage the surface of the playa. Community art should be environmentally sustainable art. It should be friendly art that develops technology that allows you to create a sustainable community space and also be environmentally sensitive. So we've worked on those systems. If you want to see how we handle our compost and gray water and washing systems, you can poke your head in our utility area for our tea house and see how we manage all that. We compost all the tea. Of course, we embrace the leave-no-trace doctrine that Burning Man, I think, has been really I think the greatest gift to the world that Burning Man has done is is really upheld the doctrine of leave no trace you know of all the things they've done I think that's probably the most profound that and radical self-reliance of course and and radical inclusion but leave no trace we take it seriously we moop every square inch of this camp when we're done we get this footprint this 200 by 250 foot footprint because we're really diligent about cleaning up our space at the end of the burn, and I think all community art should embrace those values, the leave-no-trace values. I think that's really incredibly important. I want to talk a little bit about Take Three Presents. Take Three Presents is a business that I and uh, Christopher Peza and a third partner, Misha Steiner, who is running the Skinny Kitty Tea House on the other side of the city. We're sister tea houses. Um, the three of us formed uh, another project, which I see as a community art project, another for-profit business, and we put on events. We put on private, immersive 
art parties that are based in the western part of the United States. And they reflect, I think, other things that I've learned about community art um, that we have taken in, in part from our experience on the playa and in part from other experiences that we've had and brought it forward. One of the things that we all decided in regards to the immersive art parties that we throw is that we were going to work with artists, teams of artists, to create immersive art environments along a theme, along a narrative. We also decided in our community art parties that we were not going to serve alcohol. One of the things I don't like about Burning Man after being out here for all these years is what I think is the confusion between a gift economy and free alcohol. I wish people would come up with other ways to gift aside from just endlessly running bars. Alcohol is an inferior drug, you know? It just is. It dehydrates you out here. You feel really great for, uh, you know, a beer or two. And I, I, you know, I'm not above going to one of my favorite little cocktail bars once during the burn and having a lovely martini at Muhammad's Martini Bar. Woo, shout out. But really, drinking out here on the playa, you can't rehydrate effectively. You just walk around dehydrated, cranky with a headache, you know? So um, one of the things that we agreed on is that we didn't want to serve alcohol at our parties. We served tea, and we, uh, we let people bring in their own personal quantities of alcohol. If you want to bring in, you know your champagne for the morning or a six-pack of beer or your hip flask, great. Because as it turns out, the amount of alcohol that people can carry in on their own steam is just about the right amount of alcohol, right? It's really hard to get into serious trouble with the amount of alcohol that you can carry in with you and your posse. But running an open bar, it's pretty easy to dose your community with just a little bit too much alcohol, which, as we all know, doesn't really go very well with psychedelics at all. So we don't, we don't, uh, we don't serve alcohol at our parties. We run the tea bar. No one seems to miss it. If you really want your flask or your beer or your champagne, people bring it in. We don't search you at the gate. Another thing I don't like about Burning Man, although I understand that they don't want, you know, stowaways in people's vans, but we don't search people at our parties. You know, it's not very friendly. Another thing we don't do uh, at our Take Three events, we don't advertise on social media. They're private parties. We've taken the entire art community that we've built around those events off of social media. And the reason we did that is because we perceive a certain value that people have towards privacy. I'm from the generation where I was raised not to live my life in public. I don't post to social media about who I'm with and where I'm going and what I'm doing and the next party I'm headed to and who I'm going out with and what my birthday is. No, thank you. You know, really. I believe there's a value to privacy and living in a private realm and the parties that we throw are private and we don't let people post about them on social media and if you do name the party and post about it on social media or take photos and put it up on Facebook we take you off the party list and we're serious about it there is a space for community art that is not on social media that is private and I think that's worth supporting. And I know that's a radical idea, but we're really into radical ideas, you know. Be a radical community. Also, I wanted to talk about another thing that we do in all of our projects, and that is that they're all multi-generational. Did you see the kids serving behind the tea bar in the tea house? Yeah, that's right. We have people in this camp, as young as that kid, people into their late 70s. One of the things I don't like about the electronic dance music scene is that it's all people of the same age. How boring, you know, really. It's so much more interesting to have people of all generations, kids, old people, people of all genders, make space for people of all genders, whatever gender you want to be. We don't think they're just two genders around here. 
and people of all generations, you know, really coming together to be part of a community art project. When you're not serving alcohol, you can recruit, you know, an eight-year-old kid to be your tea server, right? He's having a ball. He's an amazing tea server. So it's a way to include people of all generations in a community art project and a vision like that. And, and that's really important to all the, all the events that we do, all of our tea house events, all of the women's congress events really focus on people of all generations. At our Take Three uh, events, I created uh, what I call the granny room to recruit elders in our community. We set them up in their own space in a comfortable room, you know, because sometimes they don't want to be out there dancing all night, although sometimes they do. But we give them their own space to be elders and grandparents. And when people feel like they need a little grounding at those parties, guess where they go to? They go talk to Granny or Grandpa. And... uh Often many of us don't have the, our grandparents around anymore. I miss my grandparents so much. And when I do, I can go talk to our, our grannies, you know, in our space that we create just for them. We set up a nice room, you know, just like granny would want it. And it's a place for sleeping. Granny watches over you while you sleep because we want to make sure that in our community art projects we support health and safety, just like filtering our water. We always have a space for people to sleep so that you don't get back in your car after one of our events and put yourself in danger of falling asleep behind the wheel. The most dangerous thing we do here at Burning Man is drive out of here. By far the most dangerous thing we do is coming in on the road and leaving on the road. So we create a sleeping space in our tea house. We create sleeping spaces at all of our community art events for people to rest. And in the granny space... It's become very popular to go to the granny space and sleep, especially for unaccompanied women, because they know that it's safe. Granny doesn't allow any nookie in the granny space. We have other spaces for nookie, you know, but there's no nookie in the granny space. So you can go there. It's a safe place. You can sleep. Nobody will bother you. Granny is watching over you. How beautiful, you know, to be watched over by granny as you sleep. What could be safer, more comfortable? So we're really trying to include all generations, all generations of people in our art projects. It's really important. A couple other things that we're trying to do in our art projects, we're trying to do creative financing. All artists need to become financiers. We need to find creative ways to support ourselves as artists. Kickstarter and Indiegogo, of course, yes crowdfunding, of course. It's been done, it's been done, and it's been done. And also grants. We write grant proposals. We target donors. We tithe our own incomes. I financed the tea house out of my pocket for four years. We're about to do our first crowdsourcing campaign sometime this winter. I had a good job in Silicon Valley. My parents belong to a church, and they tithe their income. Christians traditionally have tithed a portion of their income to their community. I thought, well, okay, I'll just take a portion of my income and I'll build a tea house. Same thing, right? Old idea. Tithe your income, give some of it to your community, create community art. It's easy. Tickets. We sell tickets to our event. We do fundraising campaigns. There's something really cool called Patreon that I'd like to do a shout out to. Interesting crowdfunding platform that allows artists just to say, instead of funding a project, just fund me as an artist. I think that's cool. That's an evolution of crowdfunding. I might try that. It's a little scary because, of course, there's rejection. The world could say, huh, we don't like you as an artist. We're not giving you any money. But you have to ask, right? friend of mine, Amanda Palmer, famous musician, started the Dresden Dolls and many other art projects, lives in an arts collective called the Cloud Club that I used to live in in Boston. She took my apartment over. I was just there. I get to sit at her kitchen table. It used to be my kitchen table and write. And She's using Patreon, and uh, I think that's a cool thing. Shout out to her. She's been very successful in crowdfunding. 
So I want to talk about a couple more things. One is how to sustain community art projects. I think they, um, they need to continuously evolve. Good artists never repeat themselves. Strong community art projects always evolve. They always do something new. The big news for me this year is that somebody else has stepped forward in our camp to run Camp Soft Landing. Hallelujah. I, after five years of running this camp, along with Christopher Peza and our friend Tripp, I'm retiring from running a giant Burning Man camp, which makes me weep tears of joy because it's time for someone else to run it so that I can create a new tea house with other people so that our community can build a whole new tea house next year and bring it to the playa. That's our intention. So in order to evolve community art projects, you have to, you have to let pieces of the project go and say, hey, you run this. I'm going to evolve that piece of the project over here. I'm going to build a new tea house. We're, the car barns that we build our tea house out of are old, and they're reaching the end of their lives, and we need to raise money and build a proper tea house. We have some ideas on how to do that that reflect the ethic of community art. I think you also need to um, think about radical self-reliance, real radical self-reliance. I think that um, one of the best things we do is go to Japlaya. Japlaya is the 4th of July event where we bring our tea house and we build it in the playa north of here, north of the 12-mile access from where the Burning Man site is. And we do real radical self-reliance up there. We build a tea house out in the middle of nowhere. And half our crew comes in from Las Vegas and half our crew comes in from San Francisco. And we build a tea house and we sit around and we drink tea and we see who shows up. There are a couple thousand people out there. People build these Bedouin camps far away from each other. You can barely see the other camp in the distance. It's how Burning Man used to be. And we still do it. And... Uh, we set up our own potties, we, our own gray water system. It's really radical self-reliance, and I'd like to support more of that. I'd like people to really learn how to run their own logistics and their own systems and be fully independent, and Japlaya teaches you how to do that. So I'd like to bring our community art project more and more to open playa and really run a fully self-sustaining, what I call revolutionary self-reliance, going beyond the radical self-reliance to really, really self-reliant systems. And this land has really taught us how to do that. So shout out to the good things that Burning Man has done. It's, it's taught us how to not be spectators, how to really fully participate taught us how to work together to build camps, to build gray water systems, to build electrical systems. Our generators are right behind us. How to set up fuel storage systems, how to handle water storage, how to filter water, how to be our own rangers. I was a ranger here for a little while. I got good training as a ranger and took those ideas out and have formed our own ranger crews for our own events. Very useful training. We bring in our own medical people at our own events, our own EMTs. We try to set a high bar for taking care of our own community when we run community events. Of course, we don't need to do that here because we've got lots of medical people here on the playa, but I think that that's part of being able to be radically self-reliant. We're able to settle disputes we have to have a dispute resolution process. Disputes always occur. They're part of human nature. We need a process to work out disputes. Here in our camp, Soft Landing, we have seven subcamps. Each subcamp has a leader. That leader is responsible for working through things in their subcamp and laying out the placement of people within the subcamp and the map that we draw. Each subcamp has a place. As people come into the camp, each person is placed depending upon where, which subcamp they're in. And if there's a dispute within that subcamp, the leader handles it. And if it's something the camp managers need to sort out, then the leader of that subcamp come to us and say, hey, we have an issue. Could you help us work this out? And that decentralized model, as it turns out, works out really well. 
This camp is a beautiful group of people. We have no drama in this camp. People sort it out. It's a really lovely thing to see. Everyone treats each other with respect because we have a way to handle disputes and to handle questions. And I think that every community art project needs that. They need a dispute resolution process that works for them somehow. I really believe in decentralized community art. I'm not really happy with the idea of Burning Man getting bigger and bigger. I understand why. But um, I like the small model. I like decentralized art. It's harder to target, harder for authorities to lean on you in various ways, harder to target, be small, be agile, be decentralized. I like that model myself. I think community art projects should be transparent. One of my other beefs with Burning Man is they're not particularly transparent with any of the data about arrests or mm, disputes within their own community. They keep, you know, files on people in their HR department that you can't get access to. I found out about that firsthand, you know. There's no transparency, really. I used to be a reporter here on the playa. The first three years I was here from 96 to 99, it's very difficult to get any information out of the org, and I understand why they want to control information, of course. But I think a good community art project has a level of transparency and accountability to the communities that they serve. I really believe in that. I really believe in not holding too tightly to one's brand I don't like the idea of brands. Community art projects should be, sure, if you want to spin off another tea house, that's great, but it it shouldn't be the full circle tea house, regional tea house, regional tea house, like a regional burn. It should be its own thing, you know? I think you need to let I- good ideas go and prosper on their own, their own two feet without branding it. I don't like the idea of branding. It's... I really believe people should come up with their own ideas, take a good idea. All art is based on the previous art that came before. It's all derivative. All art is derivative, and it should be open and freely exchanged. Good community art, I think, should be like that. I also believe that good community art should foster as much freedom for people to change their consciousness. I really think that in states where medical cannabis is available that community art gatherings should always have a space for people to use cannabis and use it safely without harassment. If I was doing a a large gathering, I'd much rather have people use cannabis than alcohol any day of the week. You know why? You know why. Would you rather deal with high people or drunk people? I mean, there's really no, no question... You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? So the future, sustainable models, sustainable financial models, more women running events, more women running events, more women running events. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've had the great pleasure of meeting with other event producers in San Francisco. Guess how many women there are in that room? Very few. Not enough. And you really have to hold your ground, ladies. The gentlemen, bless their souls. They've got that fine male energy. You know, you really have to just stand up and offer your fine female energy right there with them. You know, they're our brothers. We need to all work together. Take some grit to do that. But the more women who do it, the easier it will be. I love my partners dearly. I'm really pleased to be working with them. And and, uh, I just want more women to be active in community art projects. More of the future. I want it to be less expensive. I don't like how expensive the burn is. That's bullshit. It's too expensive. Don't like that. I want community art events to be affordable. We have a a low income option for people who want to join this camp. They can still donate money to this community art project, but they don't have to pay the full price. There should always be a lesser cost option for people who don't make a lot of money in the default world. And, of course, Burning Man does that. They do offer low-income tickets, but it's still expensive for people. I want it to be less expensive. I like Japlaya. It's free. 
There are no tickets. There's no gate. There's no law enforcement. It's just you out there in the vastness. Go get lost. We've all been lost out there on the upper playa. It's delicious. It's like, where the heck are we? I don't know. Let's stop. <laughs> this is beautiful. Isn't this beautiful? Yeah. Do you have any idea where we are? Sort of. Let's get back in the truck. Okay. Um, I think community art needs to fight to stay real. Serve the people that you're serving. Serve the present needs. Don't get hijacked by intermediaries, by someone's software platform or social media, blah, blah. Try to be as direct as possible in your business models and your organizational models. Don't get co-opted by some company who wants to be your corporate sponsor. Don't get co-opted by a handful of donors. Have a decentralized financial model. Asking people in this camp to each donate some money towards camp fees is pretty decentralized. People are really are pretty willing to do that. And if they have an issue, we explain what it goes for. It goes for water that we're giving away. It goes for fuel to keep the generators going. It, it goes for our tea gear. It goes for our tea that we give away, our puer that we give away, our herbs. It goes for the things that we give away. It goes for our firewood. It goes for our new burn barrel. It goes for our kitchen gear so we can all be together and cook together. And I think that in a community art project, you need to make sure the artists are all taking good care of themselves. I'm working on that myself, self-care. Don't let people get burned out. Artists get burned out. Activists get burned out. To practice good self-care. Know when it's time to bow out and go, you're an amazing guy or an amazing woman. Here, you run this part of the project. I'll be over here, you know, thinking about what I want to do next or doing something different. Simplify wherever possible. Stay small. Stay inexpensive. Stay decentralized. Balance the publicity you're getting with your ability to offer people private spaces to be. You don't need to tell the world everything. People value private spaces. People value mystery people value something that they can add their special sauce to that's just not all decided in advance leave some things up to chance ask people how they want to contribute in your community art project so I'm going to stop talking for a little while and take some questions and then I have some I think final things to say about all this any questions out there Hi, Annie. Uh, I'm Jonathan. Hi. Hi. I think we met at Symbiosis Tea House once. Um, so I was interested in, you know, I've been, a, I've been a rainbow gathering facilitator and kitchen builder. I think I talked to you about it a few years ago for, for 20 years and build kitchens and, and camps. And um, I guess I started with that in 86. So I see some of the aspects of this, leave no trace, certainly the term welcome home, you may recall one of the other terms in Rainbow Gathering, always free, which this isn't, but you speak of. Have you, are you familiar with that? And where would you see, how would you compare the, the uh, you know, community art project uh, successes of Rainbow and, with those of Burning Man? And where Burning Man is, uh, you know, you feel does things you know, more effectively or has better practices and where there are practices it might learn from the Rainbow Gathering, if you're familiar with it. I am familiar with Rainbow Gatherings. I've gone to them. I've been on their phone tree for people who've been arrested at Rainbow Gatherings. Um, the authorities often set up roadblocks and just haul people in and run warrants on them. It's really challenging sometimes for the people there. I think the Rainbow Family of Light are heroes I think they appointed the way for 50 years, give or take. Thank you. Um, they're the original, you know, free community people. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. The Rainbow family brought their family to open land and national parks around the country and they set up big communities in the middle of these national parks with no permits 
Nobody is in charge. It's self-organizing. People set up their own kitchens. They build beautiful kitchens. The Rainbow Family set the bar for building camp kitchens. They build camp latrines. They do camp hygiene. They, we have a lot to learn from them, and it's still going on. It's beautifully decentralized. It's the original decentralized. Nobody is in charge here. And no, nobody has asked permission for these tens of thousands of people to show up at this national forest and just gather because we feel that we have a right to, a constitutional right to assembly. The downside of it is that they attract a lot of attention from law enforcement. Here the law enforcement is with us within the perimeter. They are in charge of this event. They could close the gate anytime they wanted. They could come in here and arrest us all. They can do whatever they want. And it's also true when people gather in the National Forest. They set up roadblocks. They run warrants, as I said. They pull people out of their vehicles and arrest them. They search, just like they do here, with dogs and guns and night vision goggles and uniforms. You know, that's kind of the world we already live in. And, and it's, I think a challenge for community art projects to try to shield their communities from that. It's a hard thing to do. It's one reason why privacy is a virtue. If you're going to have a private event, keep it off social media and only tell the people who are on your party list. That's one way to not tell the authorities that you're having a gathering. That's one way to do it. Um, but the Rainbow family has been really good at supporting each other through the difficult process of dealing with law enforcement. They have a phone tree where people who are arrested can reach their families. They have systems where people can get bailed out, where their children can be taken care of if they're in custody. They have really pioneered all of that. And it's been a beautiful service to watch people take care of themselves like that in often very extreme environments where the authorities are extremely aggressive. And uh, we owe them all a great deal of um, honor and support. It's the ultimate decentralized thing. Perhaps you want to do a community art project where nobody is in charge, like the Rainbow family. There's nobody in charge here. And yet there are people who step up year after year to build the kitchens and run the emergency medical services that they run out there and um, take care of their community. One of my favorite things about the Rainbow community is they have a handoff with the local ambulance services, and I know this because I know somebody who works their emergency medical. They will, they're often up a trail, not just in the forest, but up a trail they will get somebody who's hurt or sick or injured and they'll carry them down the trail and they'll put them in a Rainbow Family vehicle and they'll drive out to an arranged handoff site with a local ambulance crew and they will give that injured or sick person to the local ambulance crew to take to the local medical facility. They work that out in advance. They have their own radio networks. They're very organized. It's a beautiful thing. It's a true piece of community art. It really is. Thank you. I'm curious if you've ever faced any uh, animosity or jealousy throughout your journey, uh, especially from close people uh, also wanting to be involved, and how do you manage that, mitigate that, or suggestions in terms of how do you go through that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's human nature, you know? We're all imperfect beings, right? Of course there's going to be animosity and tension and jealousy and blah, 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 blah. I think that's one of the great lessons of Burning Man in some sense. I know some of the founders of Burning Man. They went through a really scorching process of suing each other and being in conflict with each other. And it was hard to watch, you know. And yet that was their path. And they've worked out a lot of things, I think. But um, it's a model not to emulate I think it's really a challenge, but an ultimate challenge to treat each other with kindness and respect as organizers. It's hard to do. We're all imperfect. 
And we have to always ask ourselves, am I doing this because I want my ego stroked or I want validation or I want to be known? Or am I doing this because I really think it's the best thing for this project? I think it's a really big challenge. I think when people start copywriting things and getting jealous of each other's ideas, you move out of the realm of art and closer, more towards the realm of commerce and competition. I think it's a real, I think it's the ultimate challenge, really. How do you work out here effectively and even when you're tired and hungry and dehydrated and cranky and you don't want to share your last avocado (laughs) or somebody has plugged in their their boombox into your tea house sound system and are playing music that hmm I don't know maybe we should switch the station I think that's the ultimate challenge is just to figure out how to treat each other with kindness and respect that's the ultimate community art project right In all of the work that you've done, have you ever personally experienced um, possibly being looked at differently or less, like, you're less capable because of your gender? And if so, um, like, how did you navigate that or any suggestions you would make for, like, other women that are trying to navigate working equally with men in community organization? Great question. You know, the men I work with, I really love and honor I mean, I work with them because I really believe in them as people, but they're growing up in a sexist culture. That's the culture they're growing up in, you know? And uh, even if they're raised in households with really strong women, they're soaking in it. And so are women, by the way. We're growing up in sexist culture, too. We treat, you know, the men around us and the people of other genders and a sexist way also sometimes. None of us are immune from sexism. But dealing with it in a a community context when you're running an event is a challenge. I think you, what I've learned is it's important to know when to step up and say, I feel excluded from that decision. I want to be part of that decision. How come I wasn't part of that decision? How could we make it better? How could we enhance our communications so that I'm really part of these decisions. How can we work on this, you know? And and maybe the time to do that is not when you're loading and unloading the truck, you know? <laughs> like, you've got to figure out when. So even though you might have this emotion that goes, God damn it, they made a decision I wasn't part of, maybe you want to wait until it's not the middle of the night and you're loading a truck to work that out, Right? I really believe that strong organizations have a balance in genders. You know, we're only as strong as all the genders participating. And I always say, we all need to be part of this decision so that we can make the best decision possible. How can, how can I be part of this decision too? How can we make that possible without laying blame or, you know, expressing anger? Sometimes we need to express anger. I know sometimes I've definitely expressed anger. God damn it. How come I wasn't part of that? You know? But I think it's, I think it's really uh, an art form, a community art form, to figure out how to work that out and just insist that you be treated as an equal. Come up with very specific examples of where you feel that you weren't and find a time to sit down and discuss it and find a solution to a communications issue or a structural issue within your organization and, uh, and work it out. It's the only way that we're going to have more women in event producing and that women coming into these kinds of community art projects will see a space for them. And the women who are already there should make sure that the women who are, they're working with are treated with respect as well. And, and also that the, the transgender people, the people of all genders, are treated with respect. We're all in the, some gender continuum, you know, out there. Um, so I, I think it's an ongoing discussion. And the reason why I founded a women's organization is because I wanted women to learn how to run events and handing it over to a new generation of women helps facilitate that you're in a position to mentor people or hand over a piece of your project to other 
women to run, go do it. Or y'all men out there, find women to mentor if you have special skills. It really helps. I've certainly had some great male mentors doing this work, and and uh, and I'm inspired by the the men that I work with as well. More questions, Bryce. What's your favorite event that you've ever been to? Favorite event that I've ever been to? Oh wow! I guess I have to say Japlaya, you know, because. It seems like such the logical extension of everything we've learned at Burning Man. Mm. I wonder what would happen, you know, if there was no Burning Man. I I asked John Mitchell this question um, a couple of talks ago. I said, can you see a, a, can you imagine a post-Burning Man world, you know, where we take what we've learned and, and we're still out on the playa? What would that look like? And... I like Chaplaya because it, it shows that people can take all this radical self-reliance and build camps, have fun, treat the land with respect, take care of each other, and have a whopping good time out there. Oh, my goodness. I think also it, it, it allows us to learn more about the land. I don't particularly like being hemmed in by a perimeter. Once you're out on Chaplaya and you've got a couple hundred miles of open playa between your front doorstep and the next mountain range, you know, it really changes your <laughs> changes your image of what the playa is. You know, it, you learn how to navigate by the land features. You learn about the land. And so I really love that about Chaplaya. I, I worry about the carrying capacity of this land with more and more people on it. I worry about the impact of all of us on this little scrap of land. Of course, they move the site to lessen the footprint, but... Uh, I really want decentralized models. This is a centralized model. Centralized models are vulnerable to all sorts of collapse events, as is this. And it will become more and more vulnerable as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, yeah, Japlaya, 4th of July weekend. Bring your posse. Find our tea house out there. We're out there. Come drink tea with us. And one thing I want to finally say is, you know... The skills that we develop in our community art projects will come in handy no matter what happens in the future. If there's environmental collapse, if there's a giant water crisis, if there's a natural disaster, if there's a, some authoritarian state goes nuts and takes over things, we have to be able to learn how to take care of ourselves and our communities. And everything that we've learned in community art projects teaches us how to do that. And our very practical skills, blending art, and logistics, practicality, and beauty. And I encourage you all to start one of your own. Thank you very much. Thank you, Annie. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Yes, and thank you, Annie. Thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do for our community. And I happen to agree with what she just said about the importance of what has been learned through the Burning Man experience. Although I haven't been to a burn since 2007, uh, mainly because it's become too expensive for me to attend, in the past I have been involved uh, not only in organizing the Palenque Norte lectures, but also in organizing a theme camp. And to me at least, even being part of a theme camp brings with it a significant chance to learn more about oneself than most other experiences do. Because in addition to the physical challenges in making it through a burn, the mental challenges are even more significant. As you know, fatigue, coupled with the extreme heat and the incessant dust of the playa, can, well, it can bring out the worst in us. At least that's been the case for me. So again, I want to thank Annie, John, Pez, and every other member of Camp Soft Landing for hosting the Palenque Norte Lectures these past years. Without the good people of Camp Soft Landing, there actually would be no Palenque Norte Speaker Series, which has already provided almost 70 talks for us here in the Salon. On behalf of the hundreds of thousands of fellow Saloners all over the world, I want to thank you wonderful burners for what I happen to know is a largely thankless, hot, and dusty work that provides these talks for us. 
As you know, uh, Annie is also the co-founder of the Women's Visionary Congress. And this year's Congress, now in its 10th year, I should add, will take place this coming June 17th through the 19th in Petaluma, California. And additionally, uh, for the first time this year, there's also going to be a Women's Visionary Congress salon that will be held in New York City on Friday, March 11th. And you can find out more about these events at visionarycongress.org. Also, if you go to the salon's website at psychedelicsalon.com and click on the events link at the top of the page, you'll also find links to these events. It was at last year's Women's Visionary Congress that Kai Wingo first came to the attention of many of us. Thanks to the Congress's donors and supporters, Kai received a grant that allowed her to participate in the 2015 Congress. Inspired what she experienced there, Kai organized a conference of her own in Cleveland, Ohio, in which Annie Oak, Shauna Holm, and other women elders from our community participated. In the months ahead, there will be more news here in the salon about the life and work of Kai Wingo, but today I would simply like to read a short note that Shauna Holm sent me this morning. Kai left behind three beautiful children and a grieving community of folks who loved her. She was warm and down-to-earth and very accessible. She was also brilliant and highly resourceful. How many women get laid off from their jobs and decide to create an urban mushroom farm? Kai pulled it off and she wove together communities to celebrate and learn about the incredible health benefits of the mushrooms. From medicinal mushrooms to visionary mushrooms, Kai could speak with knowledge on how to grow them, cook them, eat them, and journey safely with them. She created the Women and Entheogens Conference that took place in September 2015, which brought together people from around the country to hear researchers and teachers share their knowledge. Kai was an inspiration to all, and through her recorded talks, she touched many people whom she will never know. She will be dearly missed and leaves behind a legacy that will continue to grow. Now, in the program notes for today's podcast, I will also provide a link to the GoFundMe site that is raising money for Kai's funeral expenses and to help with the expenses for her three young children. Hopefully, you can chip in a bit to help those that Kai has left behind for us to help care for. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends. <laughs>